Hi there and welcome to Vroom, your weekly motorsport fix with me, Michael Hill. Two great guests on the show this week. Up first is British superbike intern Tom Bradbury, the youngster who is studying sports journalism at university. He spent a season this year as an intern with the build-based Suzuki team. And uh, what a great job he did. He'll be telling us all about that and his thoughts on who will win the MotoGP Championship. And a little bit later on, we uh, cross the pond to the United States of America and speak to uh, somebody that I now regard as a good friend, Roger Hayden, multiple race winner in Moto America, former champion, of course, in the States. A lot of experience in uh, many disciplines, including Moto2, World Superbike and MotoGP, where he's been a top 10 finisher. This year he turned his hand to commentary, replacing me in the Moto America Live Plus commentary box and he did a fantastic job. He'll be talking about his career to date and also telling us about the great work that him and his family are doing for the Nicky Hayden Foundation. It's been a quiet week on two wheels with the uh, Moto America and World Superbike Championships now drawing to a close. All attention is on the MotoGP World Championship. Three rounds left, starting this weekend with the European Grand Prix in Valencia. A double header at the Spanish venue, and then uh, two weeks from now, we will be seeing the first ever MotoGP race in Portimao. There was some two-wheel action in the last seven days. Uh, the final round of the FIMCEV Repsol Championship took place at Valencia, the Circuito Ricardo Tormo, and uh, three new champions were crowned. David Alonso, the Colombian, won the European Talent Cup. It was a uh, championship victory in Moto2, the European Championship for Yari Montea and a uh, junior world championship win in Moto3 for Ethan Guevara, who uh, will potentially be making a debut as a wildcard in the final round of the Moto3 World Championship. Not much else happening on two wheels. We turn our attention to four wheels just very briefly. And uh, of course, uh, we have a lockdown coming into place in the United Kingdom. But the good news is for fans of British touring cars, the final round of the championship at Brands Hatch will go ahead, albeit behind closed doors. After a 14-year absence, Formula One was back at Imola with Lewis Hamilton taking the victory from Valtteri Bottas. The Mercedes duo taking another 1-2 in 2020 to wrap up a seventh consecutive constructors title for the German brand. Danny Ricciardo finished in third place, his second podium of the season for the uh, Renault Formula One team. And there was heartbreak for George Russell, who was literally seven or eight minutes away from his first ever point. He crashed under safety car conditions, absolutely distraught, but once again showing that he is going to be one to watch as the uh, championship moves forward. The next round for Formula One is in two weeks' time in Turkey. And of course, as I said, very much else, uh, not very much else happening uh, last week. Uh, the season is drawing to a close. There has been some news, though, in, uh, in other areas, and that is the fact that Danny Buchan, the British superbike rider, will not race for Kawasaki in 2021. He's announced that he will leave the FS3 team and that he will also change brand. So keep your eyes out to see what Danny will be doing in 2021. And also in terms of Moto3, the Sky VR46 team, run, of course, by Valentino Rossi, uh, that Moto3 team will be disbanded at the end of the 2020 season. 
and uh, that generally means that there's going to be some movement movement uh, in the MotoGP World Championship. Uh, for me, what I think it means is that Luca Marini will move to MotoGP, and I think that all efforts now will focus on Moto2 and MotoGP for the Sky VR46 team. Of course, uh, the Avintia team currently holds one of those places on the grid, so we'll have to wait and see what happens in that regard. But the news that the Sky VR46 Moto3 team will be disbanded, uh, for me, indicates that we will see some movement surrounding Luca Marini and MotoGP. Nothing quite official yet, but stay tuned in the coming weeks and we'll bring you the news as it happens. Up next, we talk to Tom Bradbury, our first guest in this week's show. My first guest this week is a teenager who is hoping to make it big in the motorsport world. Hopefully, he's not going to take my job, not in the next few years anyway. Tom Bradbury is dialing in from his uh, university digs uh, in the Midlands, I want to say, but I may have got that completely wrong. Uh, Tom, good morning. Yeah, good morning. Thanks for having me. That's all right, mate. Uh, so where are you dialing in from? I was going to say the Midlands, but my geography of the UK is as bad as my geography of the world. So uh, whereabouts um, are you? West Yorkshire at the minute, a town called Horsford. So that is nowhere near the Midlands, is it? No. <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> Tom, thanks for, thanks for joining us. So we thought it'd be really interesting to get you on as a, as a guest because, as you know, over the last few months since lockdown started, we've been talking to a range of guests from, mo from the motorsport world, from two wheels, four wheels, We've got some sidecar uh, drivers and, and passengers planned in the future as well. But we've never really spoke to, to journalists. We spoke to team managers. And I know what it's like as a, as a teenager trying to make it into to the motorsport world. It's not easy. Um, and we just thought it would be really cool to, to have a, a quick chat with you, see how you're getting on, uh, what route you're, you're, you're following. And, and uh, yeah, and, and just see. You never know. Somebody might hear you talking and think, actually, there's an opening here. And, uh, and away you go. The future will be bright. So... Obviously, you've been a, a fan of motorcycle racing for a long, long time. T tell us how you got into it. Um, well, I first got into it through uh, my family. So my dad was big into motorsport when I was younger. Um, all my brothers were as well. So I was kind of brought into it in that way. He worked at Triumph, or indeed still does work at Triumph, um, motorcycles in Hinkley, because I live not far away from there. I live in a small, well, I'm from a small town in uh, Leicestershire called El Shilton. Um, and that's not far away from the main factory in Hinkley. So he worked there for um well ever since i was born so i was kind of naturally brought up around bikes around watching motor gp and there was always bikes in the garage that i'd be crawling in the garage to try and get on a bike making making noise pretending i was riding them so it, i was really naturally brought into it um and i kind of developed a passion quite early for for racing and for bikes good and and, and what are these noises that you made crawling around the garage because i'm sure that the thousands of people listening want to want you to 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 replay these these noises you made as a toddler in your nappy trying to get spanners in your dad's garage yeah i mean i think he was quite i mean he wasn't against the idea he, i think he'd just be more terrified that i was going to uh i was going to end up doing something to the bike and breaking it or shipping it but I, i'm not gonna i'm not gonna be uh acting up any of them noises Oh, you've just you've just disappointed our entire fan base, mate. <laughs> <laughs> Joking aside, though, obviously, your dad working for, for Triumph, you mentioned Earl Shilton. Again, for a lot of the British listeners, they'll know that Earl Shilton is very, very close to Mallory Park, which was a circuit that uh, used to be part of the British Superbike calendar. It's not been on the, the calendar for a while. But was that one of the first circuits you went to then, I'm guessing? Uh, or again, it could was, be getting yeah. that completely wrong. It was, yeah. So uh, Mallory's a very, very close circuit to where I live. It's literally um, within, 
it's probably like a five minute drive away. Um, I remember when I was younger uh, and I started getting uh, into my into my teenage years, I used to walk there. Uh, it'd be a, a weekend that um, my mum and dad might have been at work and that they couldn't have made it. So I just used to get a few friends over and we used to just walk there. It was about probably about half an hour or so an hour's walk. Um, and yeah, we just used to go there, watch the racing because it's just it's just what I enjoy. And I was friends with a few people at school that enjoyed it. And, you know, what what's not to love really about about going to watch some racing on the weekend? So, yeah, I, I was just uh, I went. I remember the first time I was going to Mallory, it was probably probably about five years old. I was really young. and I just sort of thought how how amazing it was, because anyone that um, watches um, motorsport from trackside will be able to tell you that it does not um showcase on tv it doesn't showcase how fast it is how spectacular it is to actually watch you know the sound the, the speed it's not really um displayed uh well enough on tv you know you can't really put into perspective how great this this skill is um so going to watch it was just for the first time especially unbelievable but every time i go it just feels like the first time to be honest yeah, no, I know what you mean. You get those uh, those kind of butterflies. I remember as a kid, my dad taking me and my mum taking me to Oliver's Mount, which was a road racing circuit in Scarborough. And uh, and I think I've said this on the podcast before. I always remember, I think it was, uh, I can't remember what race it was. It might have been a super sport race or a 600 race, as it was called. then. And, uh, and Jamie Whitten won the race. And I remember him doing this massive wheelie, going past us and waving. And I just remember thinking, oh, God, he's waving at me. I mean, he clearly wasn't just waving at yeah. me. He probably didn't even see me. But I, I totally get what you're saying. Now, obviously, a lot of younger people, um, as they start growing up, they, they maybe want to follow motorsport or motorcycle racing. But actually, from a, from a racing perspective, you're slightly different in the fact that you don't have a desire to go racing. You want to pursue a, a career in motorsport, but a completely different career. You're not the, you don't want to put the leathers and the helmet on. You want to be from the journalistic side or the broadcasting side, uh, which I find is, you know, it's, 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 fun, it's fascinating because I, I've been in, in those shoes uh, slightly older when I was sort of thinking about it. But from you, you very, very clear path, a very clear career path for you in terms of where you want to be, what you want to do, what the long-term goal is. And even just as a, as a teenager, you've already taken steps with, um, with build base Suzuki this year I know you've been involved with with them and uh, to tell us about that how that came about because that's a great opportunity as, as that a, was that know. was kind of unreal to be honest I mean I, I remember watching British Superbikes when I was younger and just thinking oh this is amazing I'd love to work in a paddock that's that's what it's always been um since you know first going to my to my race to a race a MotoGP race or British Superbike races I want to work in a paddock I want to work in a team um and yeah, it, it was so crazy how it came about, you know, obviously after being such a big fan of British Superbikes, getting the opportunity to work for a team, um, it, it didn't it didn't really feel real. Um, it came up through college. Uh, there was a work placement um, opportunity where it was, yeah, you can you can work, come work for us. You can uh, come and run our social media, look after our online platforms um, as part of work experience. And that'll obviously benefit towards the course that I was studying at college because I studied journalism at college so it, it seemed like a really good opportunity to do relevant to the course as well and of course extremely relevant to what I wanted to go into um so yeah the opportunity came about and obviously I took it um it was busy because I was doing uh, that alongside college work but you know it was 100% worth it and you know it, it's in- incredible I can't thank Steve and Stuart Hicken enough for that opportunity um, and hopefully looking to carry that on for next season as well. 
So just tell us what you were getting up to. Obviously, when people talk about social media, they think, oh, a couple of Instagram posts, a couple of tweets, uh, maybe some things on Facebook. But it's a lot more involved than that, isn't it? I mean, I, I know personally from the role that I've got in, in the paddock, but, you know, representing a team, it's it's not just like posting a selfie on your own personal on your own personal social media. No. It's a completely different way of working, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. I think a lot of it is because of how many people the posts are going out to. You know, when when you're when you're just posting something on your personal Instagram account, it's so easy to just uh, do it carelessly because you think, oh, it's, it's not many people are going to see it. But you know, if I put something on the um, on a Bill Bay Suzuki uh, social media, and even if it's if it's uh, factually wrong or if anything's wrong with it, then it's got to be deleted, and people will see it even if I go back and delete it anyway. So you've got to really make sure everything's right, everything's factual um and and just make sure everything really looks professional and is is really well said because you can't be unprofessional in what you're saying you've got to say it in the right manner um and obviously supply the, the best content as well and keep the fans updated as soon as it's happened as well and that's another thing is keeping fans updated to what's happened while it's literally just after it's happened you know that's the beauty of social media you can keep people updated so quickly it's not like you know 50 years ago or before social media you used to have to read an article but now it's just the the case of reading a tweet two minutes after something's happened and learning about um the, the latest news it's, it's as simple as that really so just getting news out as fast as possible and just letting everybody know what's happening over the course of a race weekend yeah fully fully agree and obviously the bill Bay suzuki team this year um had some great successes didn't they they were right at the sharp end kyle ride got his first uh, win uh, on the yeah. podium. Gina Ria came in. Unfortunately, Keith Farmer got injured, but he came back as, as the year went on. What was it like working with those guys? Uh, I know all of them uh, pretty well. And, you know, Kyle's a great character coming obviously yeah. from BSB into the World Championship and then back into the British paddock. But uh, some, some great guys that you can work with. And as you already mentioned, Stuart and Steve Hicken, uh, you know, great team. And it, it's great to see a, a team in the BSB, giving giving a youngster a shot, you know, it's it's, it's probably different for them as well, right? Because they're normally looking for young riders, and now all of a sudden they've potentially got young young press officers and things, which, um, yeah. which I think is great. It's 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 so different, but it's refreshing. Yeah, hundred percent. Well, it, it, just to work, as I said before, it's always been a dream to work in a team. So working alongside riders and stuff like that, and just kind of being sat in the garage in the evening and and being like pretty much sat next to a rider in British Superbikes, it's kind of surreal. You know, it, you, you just kind of, as a as a fan for me, I was just kind of like, this is this is unbelievable. I've never never imagined being sat having uh, food next to next to Kyle Ride or next to Gino Ria. So, yeah, it's unbelievable to be honest. And just working in that team environment with with everybody, everybody on that team is just so passionate about what they do, and that's that's a lot of it. Because um, I think it's it's although motorsport or motorcycle racing are very, you know, it's a popular sport. Um, it's not as popular as sports like football and I found a lot of the time when I was at school it was all football this and football that um, and it was hard for me to kind of um, find any relative you know find any common ground with people that weren't massively into into motorsport and motorcycle riding so just being around people that had the same kind of interest as me was amazing because I could then you know I felt at home pr pretty much instantly to be honest because I was around things that I was familiar of yeah, no, I, I can relate to that as well. I mean, um, I think the only thing I was ever good at rugby or football was actually being used as the ball. Every time I would talk about motorsport, and it would just be, I just, I remember that as a kid, just like nobody was interested in motorcycle racing at all. It was so 
But it was so strange to me because, as you say, I'd watch it on TV or I'd go to the, the Grand Prix. I, mean, I remember going to the 1988 British Grand Prix with my dad and Ron Haslam was riding like a Pepsi Suzuki. You probably weren't even born then. Um, and I just remember sitting uh, on the, the rundown between the S's and, and, and um, the Melbourne Loop and just thinking, man, this is, this is incredible. Like, why, why do none of my friends at school like this? Yeah. Like, I don't understand why you don't like this because yeah. that it's different watching it on the telly. And I've got friends now that have that have gone to races in the last few years and they've gone bloody hell. Like we didn't realize it was this fast. It was this noisy yeah. to get this close to the riders. It's, mm. it is different, but so no, I, I, I see where you're coming from on that. And I, I'm sure people listening will, will, will totally agree. Obviously it's been a difficult season, hasn't it for everybody? COVID-19. Um, yeah. I don't really want to bang on about this, uh, this pandemic uh, anymore, mm. but again, for, for someone like you coming into BSB first year working with a team, that's also I assume, giving you massive, massive challenges and, and, and restrictions as well in terms of where you could go, what you could do. It wouldn't be like a normal season. Yeah, definitely not. I mean, the season, first of all, it was delayed. Um, it was postponed for, God, I'm not sure how long, probably about two months. Um, we first got the news that it was delayed and um, I, was, we were, I wasn't even expecting a season to go ahead and I was a bit, I was a bit frustrated, to be honest, that the opportunity came up and and you know it wasn't it wasn't able to go ahead, but obviously um, health and safety uh, completely understandable that it that it wasn't safe to to go ahead. Um, so first of all, I was I was completely uh, I, I was just so happy to to see that we had the chance to go racing. So uh, when we got there, I mean the restrictions, yeah, it was different. Um, there weren't spectators there for one. Um, wearing masks all day, I mean that's that's not ideal. Uh, but you have to do what you have to do. Um, have to try and sanitize your hands and social distance and social bubbles. Yeah, it was it was very different to what I would have expected. But hopefully next season it will be, well, hopefully a slight shift towards uh, normality. But we'll, we'll see what we'll see what season brings. Who knows what's going to happen next season with with the pandemic? Who knows if it's going to get better or worse or stay the same. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. I mean, we're, obviously, we're recording this uh, this interview uh, just the day after the Portuguese Formula One Grand Prix at Portimao, so uh, we're recording it in advance uh, just to get ahead of the game. Just what you mentioned there in terms of fans and fans not being allowed, um, just interested in your perspective. I find it frustrating. I find it annoying. Um, looking at, for example, the Formula One race yesterday when there was 50-odd thousand fans in the circuit in Portimao, Clearly, there was no social distancing at at least half of the track. Um, these pictures have been broadcast around the world, watched by millions and millions of people. Um, I was in Portugal a week ago, 10 days ago, and there were no fans allowed at a circuit that is a couple of hours drive away in the same country. Here in the UK, you can go and watch snooker in a crucible theater, jam-packed in, no masks, and we can watch you know, Ronnie O'Sullivan doing his, doing his thing playing snooker. Yeah, as Stuart Higgs has publicly said, and I agree with him, you know, you have hundreds and hundreds of acres of land at these circuits, and we're not allowed fans in. I mean, it, you know, again, I'm, I'm kind of going off topic here, and I don't want to get too political, but it's just mind-boggling to me. I mean, the whole world is just going crazy. And I understand there's a pandemic, and I understand that, as you said, you've got to do what you've got to do, and we have to respect the rules. But there has to be some common sense, and there has to be some yeah. consistency, surely. No, hundred percent. I, I don't. I don't agree with uh, the fact that fans can't come in. You know, to a racetrack. Come on, the massive, massive. You know, as you said, acres of land. It's easy to social distance there. You know what I mean? It's it's not going to be an issue. Um, so I don't understand why they can't let 
you know, a select amount of fans in. Okay, it might not be what it was last year. They might they might not allow as many people in, but they put restricted tickets out. I don't I don't understand why fans can't come back. It would be great to see um, fans because it brings it brings back the atmosphere for sure. Um, yeah, and we saw that in the Formula One race yesterday. I don't know if you watched the race, but uh, I did watch. I was flicking through from, from MotoGP, and that was my day set yesterday. MotoGP into Formula One, British touring cars, and end the day with Moto America. It was like literally 16 hours, never moved from the sofa. But, great, yeah, no, it's brilliant. But you can see that even in the Formula One, you know, that, that you know, Lewis wins another race, and you can hear the crowd, you can hear the cheering, you can see the flags waving and stuff, and, you know, I'm not against Formula One or four wheels, but you know I think that the atmosphere we have in motorcycle racing is is is, is better than that. I think it's more than that. It's more 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 passionate than than what we see in in the four wheel world. So I, I agree with you. Looking ahead, obviously uh, to 2021, it looks as though the the calendars are out. The the season will start a little bit later, certainly in the BSB Championship. Your long term goal is is what i mean you want to remain in the paddock next year what, what are you doing over the the off season to make sure that you can remain within motorsport uh, and continue this this career path which uh, which i think uh, is, is you've, you've already made great strides but how can you make sure that that continues um well i've been in contact with steve uh, over the last few weeks since uh, well over the last week and a half really since uh, since brands hatch and it looks like um you know looking looking towards next season uh, there might be an opportunity there um, for me to continue with them as you mentioned before I'm, I'm currently at uni I'm studying uh, sports journalism so I'm halfway through my first semester in that so focusing a lot on that between between now and then um, and on the side I'm trying to do as much photography and videography um, that I can kind of improve my skills and improve editing as well so I can kind of bring something new to the table next year and, and be able to develop even more and, and make our social media a lot more uh engaging and, and just create better content to be honest I don't want to stick doing the same kind of thing every season you know I want to come every every uh you know I, I did this season it was good the first season I was learning learning new things because before before this season I had no experience in running a social media account you know to a professional standard I mean yeah I put things on my own Instagram on my own Instagram account but it's it's completely different running a, a professional British Superbike team's social media so you know, I, I learned a lot this year, um, so I'm obviously looking to to adapt that into into next season and also add a few more things as well. So I want to do a lot more video content next season um, and maybe edit videos and, and stuff like that. So yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. I'm just uh, over the off season, just learning new things and just making sure I'm fully equipped to to do the job and to do what I want to do um, for next season. And you've also had quite a number of articles published. I know we spoke during the uh, the lockdown about various things, and you reached out to me for for some advice, which uh, you know I was quite quite humbled about. Really, it's quite nice to to have somebody seeing what I've done, and and then kind of reach out and say, actually, can you give me some advice? What should I do? And, and you shared some some articles with you uh, with me rather, and um, you know that you, you've cle- clearly got a, a flair for writing as well. So, what's your thoughts about? Um, about that moving forward, because as you said, editing videos and content and things is is one angle, and the journalistic side is another angle. Um, yeah. It's it's very unusual these days, especially if you get into a world championship, that you would have a role that encompasses everything. So, I mean, for now, you know, I think you're right to be covering all these different angles. But longer term, down the line, five years from now, if you're in a world championship paddock or you're working with a manufacturer or whatever it happens to be. Are you swayed more towards the journalistic side or more towards the the video side? Um, 
Honestly, I, you asked that. I, I have no idea. I don't know. I think I think originally I, I was put onto a well. I, I decided to go onto a journalism course at college, and so I I I learned I learned quite quickly that I enjoyed writing and I enjoyed writing about motorsport. Um, and I thought, yeah, this is great. I'm going to focus on the writing side. I'm going to do the writing side at, at uni. I'm going to study sports journalism at uni. Then I'm going, to, I'm going to come out and I'm going to be a journalist. And as I said before, with the opportunity with British Superbikes, um, that came out of nowhere. You know, I wasn't expecting to be offered uh, an internship running their social media and creating, you know, doing photography and stuff like that for them. So that really did come out of nowhere. And I did it and I loved it. Um, and I, I just really, I expected to love it, but I, I love it as much as writing, you know, getting out there and, and, you know, interacting with people and actually being in that environment where, you know, you're surrounded with, with racing and with bikes and, and speaking to people. Um, so I think, I mean, I, I'm at the minute. Obviously, I'm I'm trying to uh, expand my skill, expand my skills in both aspects in the writing and, and content in content creating. Um, but in terms of uh, long term, I mean, whatever whatever I end up falling into, I'll be happy with because I'm I'm really I'm really passionate and and interested uh, in both angles. Um, I think that's good. A real, a real politically correct answer there. You're not. You're not. Uh, you, you're aware that there's thousands of people listening, and you don't want to say one or the other because you think someone might be listening that's going to give me a job as a journalist. And if you say the other way, then they're all going to uh, going to <laughs> employ you. So very, very nicely answered there. But no, I think you're right. I think as a you know, 18, 19 years of age, you just started university. It's kind of what I did. You know, literally, I'm doing radio interviews. And this was long before we even did stuff uh, on Twitter. You know. Uh, not not quite the fifty years ago that you mentioned uh, earlier in the interview. I'm not not, not quite that old yet, but uh, but that's exactly what I did. And it's what a lot of people do. They they literally dip their toe in in various different aspects, and you'll find where it where it suits. Um, you know, it's uh, it's same with me with the paddock show. If someone had said, you know, ten fifteen years ago that you'd be coordinating the World Superbike Paddock Show and and commentating eight hours on a stage, that's not what I would have expected to be doing. I would have been expected to be in the sport, but maybe on, on TV or on a different angle. Um, and it, it'll naturally take its course. Let's talk a little bit about um, the 2020 season uh, and your thoughts about the various championships. Um, let's, let's get your take on that. Obviously, the World Superbike Championship is finished now. Um, mm-hmm. Jonathan Ray, six-time world champion. Scott Redding coming in, giving him a run for his money. The first time in, I think, five years, uh, four years, five years since it's gone down to the final round. Um, so he kept the championship alive. Um, we've seen Andrea Locatelli come from Moto2 into World Supersport, dominated the championship, more points in one season than even Keenan Sofoglu. He's got a, a fast track straight into World Superbike next year. Garrett Gerloff uh, is, is on the podium, first American rider on the podium since the late Nicky Hayden in 2016. And then obviously in the World Supersport 300s, we've seen Tom Buthamos, uh, young Indy offer, and Eunan McGlinchey, three British riders on the grid, all doing really, really well this year. Tom Buthamos finishing top six in the championship. Just get your thoughts on on World Superbike and the, the the supporting categories this year before we move on to, to MotoGP. Yeah, I think it's been a really good season, first of all. You know, it's really good to see Johnny Ray back up there again. Uh, what an unbelievable rider he is. You know, he's he just seems to be on it every season now. You know, obviously six seasons uh, that he's six seasons that he's won. It would have been nice to see Scott Redding win. It would have been nice to see Scott Redding, especially. I'm a, I'm a big Scott Redding fan. I've, I've been supporting him since he was in Moto2, uh, and he, since he beat Marquez at Silverstone in 2012, that was kind of the first time I I watched Scott um, at the track. And, and yeah, I've been a massive Scott Redding fan since then. 
Um, so probably a bit biased of me, but yeah, you know, really, really good to see uh, to see Johnny Ray uh, take the title this year. Yeah, for sure. And what about the new the new riders coming through? As we said, Andrea Locatelli. I mean, you know, you again, it it frustrates me sometimes when you see these keyboard warriors on social media and they say, oh, but Locatelli didn't do anything in Grand Prix. He's not that good. And then he comes to World Supersport and it clicks. And and I always keep saying, but you've got to compare apples with apples. I remember a conversation with Keenan Sofoglu maybe seven, eight years ago when he, he'd moved into Superbike. It didn't work. He tried his hand in Moto2. He didn't like it. And I remember having a really honest interview with him um, on the Paddock Show a few years back. And he said, the reality is I don't enjoy riding anything else other than Supersport. So why am I going to ride anything else when I can race to win? I'm enjoying my racing. Um, and you've got to admire that. And I think that's, it's similar with, with Locatelli. I personally think he, he did okay in Moto2. We see how competitive that championship is. 23, 24 guys separated by 0.7 of a second week in, week out. Um, and I think Locatelli just came into super, into super sport. The rules changed a little bit this year uh, and slick tyres were allowed, where obviously in super sport previously they've never been allowed. So he, he was used to riding with slick tyres. Not saying that's the only reason that he won races because clearly the guy can ride a bike, but I think that played a factor. And I don't know what you think, but I think he just settled in, you know, to, to the championship very, very easily. The, the bike was maybe easier to ride. Um, he found found his rhythm super, super easily. And it's confidence, isn't it? How many times do we hear riders talking about confidence? Jake Dixon, prime example. Yeah. 100%. He's openly said, you know, God, it was all going wrong. And he threw the towel in, you know, this is not what I expected it to be in Moto2. Um, and then all of a sudden something's changed. His confidence is there. And now week in, week out, Jake is at the front, um, similar to Locatelli. Yeah, it's great to see. It's great to see when when you see riders coming from Moto Two, and then they, they go to a different class, and and they're they're really successful, and they settle in really well. So you know, it's great to see him settle in so well this season, and you know, hopefully next season he'll be uh, he'll be right up at the front again, and, and you know, be competitive, and you know, be pushing to get the best results on the grid. Yeah, for sure. Very quickly, because we've only got about five or six minutes left on, on the interview. I want to talk about MotoGP, another crazy season. Um, we've had sort of eight races uh, won by different riders. I think we've had 10 or 11 riders on the podium. It's one of the most competitive seasons for, for years. Obviously, Mark Marquez is out injured, uh, and obviously we wish him a, a speedy recovery. Rumours that he may not ride again until 2021. Um, thoughts about that? I mean, I guess if you were in Mark's corner, he tried to come back, it didn't work. He's got nothing to prove. He's a multiple world champion. Surely it's better to take six months off now, get fully fit, come back next year. That would be my I, advice. I think, I think that's what any, any uh, normal person would do. But of course, Mark is you know, incredible. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised if he came back um, for Valencia and won a race. You know, he, he, he's unbelievable. It's just, he's just on another level. I think it's so, he's such a skilled rider. Um, incredible to watch as well. Uh, I think... You know, I, I don't think he would come back. I mean, I, I could see him coming back. I wouldn't. I wouldn't be against the idea. But I think he he might be looking to, you know, to come back next season because, like you said, he hasn't got anything to prove. He might be just looking to come back just to prove that he can do it and that he can still run with the top guys. Who knows? But um, as as far as what what I'm expecting, I mean, I don't I don't think he will be back until next season. But you know, never say never. Yeah, and what do you think about some of the, the other riders that have won races? I mean, uh, Miguel Oliveira winning a race, yeah. Brad Binder winning a race, you know. Who, who, would have, who would have, no one would have predicted that. 
it's, it just shows how how clear this season. What is it? Has it been eight winners over? Eight winners, I think. Yeah, yeah. eleven races. Unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, that never happens, does it? It's normally, it's normally three or four. You know, it, it's just so close. And I don't think at the start of the season anyone anyone would have predicted Alex Marquez doing so well. Um, over the it, last... It's interesting that you mentioned Alex Marquez because, again, on social media, these keyboard warriors, three races in, Marquez is struggling, Alex, obviously, that we're talking about, and everyone's quick to jump on on him and say, look, he's doing rubbish. He's, you know, he's nowhere near his brother. Look at this. He's, he's you know, he, he can't even get in the points. Like, what's he playing at? Yeah. And then all of a sudden, again, something changes, something clicks, and he understands the bike now, and then he goes podium in the rain, which people said, oh, it's a fluke, it's raining, and, you know, I admit, I was like, okay, it's a bit of a fluke result turns up in Aragon and proves that he can almost win a race in the dry. And, you know, it, it's, as you said, it's such a strange season. But again, it just shows that sometimes people just need a little bit more time to adapt. And again, now with, from a Repsol Honda point of view, they've got rid of him for next year. Uh, it's all change, you know, and, and the same with Ducati. Like they've made some big decisions, not just in MotoGP, but in World Superbike as well. You know, they've, mm. they've said after seven years to Chaz Davies, thanks for your services, bye-bye without really giving any reason um, other than what Chaz has said publicly, where they've said he needs to improve his qualifying. I mean, clearly there's more behind the scenes than we know, but, you know, it, it, some strange strange races, strange decisions, not just from, from, from Honda, but from, from various manufacturers. Yeah, definitely. I mean, if you look, if you look at Ducati, you know, what, what, you know, they're a great team uh, amongst, you know, MotoGP um, and, you know, uh, more superbikes and then them getting rid of Chaz. I mean, it, it's it's their idea, you know. If it, if, it, if that's what they want to do, then then fair enough. But I think you know he's a great rider. He's shown throughout the season that you know he's worthy of getting you know the, the top positions. You know, so from the outside looking in, you know, obviously myself not being, um, you know, I don't know all the behind the scenes information. But from the outside looking in, it doesn't make much sense. But you know, fair enough. If if that's what if that's what they want to do, and that's what they want to do, and and with Honda, I mean, I think, as you said before, people were very judged to, to uh, they were very early to judge uh, Alex Marquez, obviously being the brother of Mark Marquez. They expect him to come in, you know, he came straight from Moto2, straight into a factory team and everyone was expecting him to be, you know, getting the results. But, you know, at the end of the day, that's that's a tough bike to ride. You know, Lorenzo jumped on, on well, from the Ducati onto that bike and he couldn't manage to make it work straight away. You know, he, he got the results. He got a few results, but you know he, he he was struggling. It's a very hard bike to ride, and even Cal Crutchlow has came out and said how hard the Honda is to ride. You know, it's such a physical bike and such a, you know, it's a bike that you need to you need to be skilled. You need to have a very great uh, physical fitness to be able to ride it. And you know, I think that he's adapted great. You know, yeah, he struggled earlier on in the season, but to see how he was on form in Aragon for the first first time there in Aragon, he was you know he came. From what 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 position did he fight up from? I forgot. He was well. He was certainly mid pack, wasn't it? I can't remember where he qualified. I know. I know in the the second round, I think he qualified tenth or eleventh, and, and again he was fighting again, wasn't he? Fought up to the podium. I know he tipped off in the second Aragon race, um, but again he's he's proved that it's not a fluke. He's he's there in the mix. Obviously, as we go, as you said, to Valencia, uh, double header at Valencia, then a season finale in Portimao. Personally speaking, I think the title will be decided in Portimao. I think it's going to go right to the wire. Yeah. So many riders still with the possibility of winning. Who's your money on to be the the world champion this year? Oh, it's impossible to say. I mean, I would have. I I want to see Quattararo win it. I really do. I think you know. I I love Fabio. He's he's just such a great rider, and he's had a lot of success from such a young age as well. 
he's came into MotoGP and he's shown, you know, he's so suited to the MotoGP bike. Um, so, you know, seeing him win, obviously, I was rooting for him all, all season, last season to get the win. Obviously, didn't manage to pull it off. So when he got his first win this season, um, completely chuffed for him. And I'd love to see him go all the way and be able to take the title. But, you know, it's just so close. Anything can change. Um, it, it's it's impossible to call. Like, I completely agree with you. I think uh, the season will go all the way down to the last round um, in Portugal. Uh, but it, it's impossible to call. But I would love to see Quasararo take the win. Okay, well, uh, Tom, obviously we've been chatting for, for 29 minutes. Uh, I'm sure that people listening have, have really enjoyed uh, your story so far and uh, obviously the journey that you've, you've started on to get into to the motorsport world, albeit not as a rider, uh, but of course, uh, motorsport, we still need journalists, we still need presenters. Uh, so, uh, no, I think everyone will be, uh, will be really interested to see how you progress. Um, and as I say, I think it's great that, that uh, the Bill-based team have given you a shot uh, in uh, in BSB, uh, and I think more teams should look to do that. I genuinely, genuinely do. Obviously, as we uh, we end the podcast, uh, Tom, we normally allow the the riders or the guests to uh, to give themselves a bit of a social plug. So, uh, again, if anyone's listening that, that wants to follow your exploits, uh, how, how can they how can they follow you on social media? Uh, just head over to um, my uh, Instagram account. So it's at underscore Tom Bradbury. I think my name will be on the on the podcast somewhere. So you know how to spell my last name. Um, and on there, there's a link to my Twitter and also a link to my uh, my personal website. So if anyone wants to go and check that out, yeah, feel free to and drop me a message if anyone's got any uh, any advice or any inquiries. Okay, and just putting a caveat in here, a bit of a disclaimer, if any of my employers uh, on this side of the pond or on the other side of the pond are listening to this, um, I still have valid contracts for at least the next five years. So uh, I'm quite happy for you to talk to Tom but uh, when I've retired. But uh, no, joking aside, Tom, it's been a, it's been a pleasure talking to you and uh, I look forward to, uh, to catching up in person at some point in, in a paddock when, uh, when fans and things were allowed back in. And, and, uh, and who knows, maybe we can even get you on the paddock show uh, and you can uh, join me for a, for a commentary or do some interviews uh, at Donington next year. Yeah, definitely that sound of that. That'd be really good. <laughs> but yeah, we'll, we'll definitely catch up at some point and uh, yeah, meet in person. And yeah, 100% really been great to, to be on. All right. Cheers, Tom. Well, all the best uh, for uh, the off season. And uh, again, for those listening, that was uh, 18-year-old Tom Bradbury, who is uh, looking to make a career in journalism, motorsport, and uh, I'm sure you'll all agree he's got a great chance of doing it. Up next, we talk to uh, the legendary Roger Hayden. Here at Vroom, we want to hear from you, our listeners. So whether you've got a burning motorsport question or if you've got a favourite rider that you'd like us to try to reach out and arrange an interview with, please, please, please get in touch. You can contact me through my Twitter account, at mhillofficial. So what are you waiting for? Get in touch today. My next guest on the Vroom podcast this week is uh, part of a family that is synonymous uh, with uh, success in the motorcycling world, not just in the States, but uh, worldwide. Roger Hayden is uh, dialing in now. Roger, delighted that you've agreed to join us, uh, and I didn't even have to pay you, so that's a, that's a bit of a blessing. 
no, I'm happy to do it and, uh, you know, honored to be on it. Oh, mate, it's uh, the, the honor is all ours. Uh, as I said in the intro, uh, of course, you're part of uh, a racing family with such a, such a pedigree. Now, obviously, this podcast will be going out uh, after, obviously, the day that we're recording. But I do just want to point out, we're recording this, and I didn't know this until uh, earlier this morning, on the 14th anniversary of uh, your brother Nicky winning the MotoGP world title. Um, it, it, I can't believe it's 14 years since, since Nicky won the title. It's, it's incredible. Yeah, I mean, same here. I was actually thinking about that earlier you know just how how the 14 years have just flown by you know you were even though it was a while ago and different things have come up it just I don't know I think just because it was such a it was such a big day and it like so many people remember that day for so many reasons it's like still seems like it only happened a, a little while ago yeah, for sure. Can you, can you remember where you were? I mean, I remember watching the race live and I remember obviously uh, Nicky winning and then I remember his little dance on the podium and the, the emotion of him riding around on the slowdown lap, etc. But were you, were you still in the States? Can you remember that moment? Oh, I was actually there. Uh, everybody, our whole family was there besides my younger sister because she was, uh, she was in college. And um, so she couldn't, you know, she couldn't get away. But everybody else in the family was there, and uh, it was actually in uh, Michael Jordan's suite, and um, which is just all American fans, pretty much. You know, a lot of people from the paddock and all that. So it was, it was cool to be there and be at the podium, and uh, I think it just made that much more special. Yeah, and it was a great, uh, a great day. Um... Obviously, you want to talk a little bit, uh, not just about Nikki, but, but about you as well. For those that are, that are listening, Roger, um, the youngest of three brothers, uh, uh, Tommy as well, a uh, former racer. Um, you've had a hell of a career, mate. I know you've retired now and uh, you've kind of taken my job a little bit this year in, uh, in Moto America uh, with, with me not being able to travel. I've got to say, you did a great job uh, this year. It's not easy uh, being a commentator. I think a lot of people don't realize uh, just how much work goes into it. But uh, did you enjoy sort of that side of the sport? I did enjoy it actually, and uh, it was learning something new, you know, something I've never been a part of that was just so uh, so cool for me, and, and uh, you know, kind of feeling myself get better and more. You know, it's kind of like the same thing. It's like more seat time. Just a, I was just a different seat, you know, and but it was definitely harder than I thought. Um, more preparation goes into it than I thought, even for. For me, I guess because I want to do good and I always want to like uh, do well at whatever I do. I don't want to just feel like I'm collecting a check and just taking up space. So as the year went on, after especially after the first race, you know, I started printing out like the previous year's results and you know, like uh, the previous race result. So you know, when I'm talking all day on Friday, I know if someone had a good last race or, you know, always people are always like, how do you know these lap times? You know? And it's cause I would always print them out from the, the year before. I mean, not only you gave us that paper, but even yeah, let's, let's, let's put that, let's, let's put that out there. I did actually prepare a lap record sheet. So uh, I'll take a little bit of the credit, but no, I get what you're saying. I mean, you did a lot of preparation, didn't you? I really, you really did. It was kind of funny. Cause then like I had all these folk, I had a folder for every class you know, that was rolled on it. And it was kind of funny. Then the next race, uh, Robbie had a folder too. So it was kind of cool. You know, I kind of started it and then he, he, he got a folders as well. So it was kind of, it was kind of fun. And I think 
that made him and also made the staff realize that, you know, I was, I was pretty serious because I want to be right. You know, I don't want to just sit there, but I think, and well, I think the track is as fast as last year. That's just kind of stuff. Like when I'm watching MotoGP or, or world Superbike or something, I, I want to know what, if the guys are going fast compared to last year, the track condition slower, just, I don't know, just different stuff. And just, it's a lot of talking on the first day. And uh, sometimes I have to remind myself to uh, keep talking, you know, and not just watch the practice. Cause a lot of times I just want to watch and get used to a talk back button and people talking in my ear and, that was probably one of the biggest things I'd say I struggle with is whenever they'd be talking in our ear when I when I was talking, especially in the beginning, I always stopped talking and, and was listening, and then would would finish instead of keep keep talking. Yeah, I, I remember the first time I did did talk back. That's that's really hard, and I guess it was worse for you because you had it in both ears. You had Robbie on one side of the booth uh, talking rubbish all weekend, and then you had uh, obviously the TV director uh, in, in the other ear. So uh, doubly hard for you. Yeah, I, mean, I had somebody in both ears all the time, so it made it, <laughs> made it a little bit more difficult. But, uh, you know, I kind of get used to that, uh, you know, when you kind of block people out. And I don't know, it was just, as the year went on, it was just like, especially the last race, you know, I don't always feel like, oh, I did a great job. I felt like the beginning of the year I did pretty good. Kind of thought in the middle I was okay. I really felt like the last race – you know, I was like really kind of into my own and like was uncomfortable enough to like jump in when, when Robbie w- would be talking. Yeah, no, it's good. I want to move on and talk a little bit about your career uh, because it's a great, great career. But before we do, one of the things that really interested me this year was obviously your ability to talk quite candidly on camera, um, bearing in mind that you'd raced with a lot of these guys. Uh, you were teammates with, with Tony for, for a number of years, for example. Uh, you know, you've raced with, with Cambobier. Um, how difficult was that for you as a former racer, as a former competitor, as a friend of some of these guys, to actually be so honest and say, well, actually, yeah, Tony is having a hard time. You know, for somebody like me who's coming in as a commentator, I'm, I have an opinion, but my opinion is formed of, I'm imagining very different things. The relationship and the friendships that I would have with these riders is very different to to the relationship and friendships you would have. I think just because for one, that's how you get your credibility. You know, people are going to not really think you're telling the truth if you're, you're sugarcoating it. And I didn't, uh, there was definitely some things that I held back, but you know, I think it was pretty obvious that Tony was struggling and, and, you know, I didn't, even though I would say it, you know, I just thought, you know, I thought what I was saying was, was how I felt. I never said he was um, like, oh, he's retired or he's over the hill or, or whatever. Just what I just comment on what I seen. And I think, I think even the riders, even Tony appreciated because I always would say, you know, I would say what I felt like was, was going on. I would always follow up with once he gets that figured out, then you know, he'll be there. And we kind of seen that the, the last race, but sometimes you do, you get, you say some stuff that some people uh, don't really like. And you know what the most of the time it was, somebody didn't even hear it. They would right. think somebody else told them that the commentator said something and they get it, miss the wrong information. And then, you know, like, and then you tell them, Hey, this is actually what I said. You right. Know, and, Oh, you know what? Well, somebody else told me, 
something different. And, uh, but I just tried to be honest. I mean, there was a lot of stuff on there that it's kind of hard when you know a lot of stuff behind the scenes and, you know, you don't really want to put it all out there. But at the same time, if I didn't hear it from the, the, from the exact person of what was going on, you know, I can't say that they told me to keep it a secret. Then I was, I was letting it fly. Yeah, it was great. It was great viewing. And I was, was, I enjoyed watching it. I mean, I'd, I'd like to have been there in the booth with you and, and been part of it, but, uh, but maybe next year. Again, for those that are listening, obviously, the Vroom podcast, we started this during the lockdown uh, three months ago now, and we, we've got thousands of people that listen every single week. Roger, you were one of the, the riders that was most voted that they wanted you to, have, to be on the podcast, uh, obviously from the motorcycle fans. But we also have a number of fans that are from the car racing world. So, for example, we've, we interviewed uh, last week or the week before uh, Josh Balicki, who's a NASCAR driver, and he was talking about the fact that actually he'd, he'd much rather be riding a superbike and uh, he was watching Moto America. And I think he actually came to, to Road America uh, earlier this year. So just for the benefit of the car fans that are, that are watching, obviously Roger, as I said, is, is the younger of three brothers that, that all raced, all won championships, all very successfully. Um, but even before that, both of your parents raced, your mom and your dad were racers. Um, from the American Championship, obviously in the last five years alone, um, 46 podiums, nine pole positions, 22 front row appearances, five wins. I mean, that's just in the last five years. But if we go back even further than that, you've raced in MotoGP. You're a top 10 finisher with Kawasaki uh, at Laguna when you raced as a wildcard, I believe. You've raced Moto2 in, in Indonesia, uh, finished just outside the points. You did several races with Pedicini Kawasaki in 2010 in World Superbike. I mean, you've really had one hell of a career that probably a lot of people, new fans to the sport, probably don't even realize back in the sort of the, the early 2000s, mid 2000s. I mean, you've sport bikes, super sport bikes, super bikes, Moto2, MotoGP. I mean, you've done it all. Yeah, I have. And then also, uh, you know, on flat track, even got a podium on, you know, on the, uh, you know, Springfield TT. And definitely, uh, you know, I think looking back, you always kind of think, oh, man, I could have won a few more races. Maybe I could have did this different. But And then you realize, like, how many people would just die to have my, you know, the results and the, the resume that I have. And uh, and the last five years was definitely probably my best. And, um, but, yeah, I did a lot, even top ten in World Superbike at uh, Laguna. Yeah. After the uh, – when I was riding for Michael Jordan team, so it's kind of cool, you know. I'm top ten in Moto America, top ten Moto GP, top ten in uh, uh, World Superbike, you know, top ten obviously in flat track, you know, with a with a third. So it's kind of it's kind of cool when you look back and you you kind of look back and you see uh, see all the stuff that you you know you accomplished. And sometimes it's it's hard to it, sometimes it's easy to forget, you know, like my last year wasn't my greatest. And sometimes, you know how it is, even as a rider, you kind of forget all the stuff that you did. And then where was we at this year? Um, New Jersey, I think it was. And in the pre-race notes, it, you know, it was like, you know, Roger Hayden's been the most successful superbike racer at New Jersey since Moto America started seven out of eight podiums or, or whatever it was. And it was like, you know, I was like, man, you know, I was like really – really good here and I had to make sure I told Robbie so he knew 
Yeah, know, yeah, for sure, for sure. Yeah. You, you even held the lap record, I think. I remember doing the, the statistics for the lap records and, and your name flashed up. I think the lap record went back to 2015, 2016 and a lap record, maybe it was Indy, I can't remember. <laughs> it was Indy and it's like lap record that stood for five years, you know, and even prior to that, you know, the times that you were doing eclipsed everything before that. I mean, phenomenal, really, when you think about it. Yeah, I mean, but also any track record this year, Cameron Bobier was coming in high and he was he was killing the track record but yeah it's kind of it's pretty cool when you're, you're still in the you're still in the notes as a as a commentator like when you're reading all that stuff and i don't know it was definitely i had a really good career and some injuries along the way but uh you know to look back and you know to race professionally for 20 years pretty pretty incredible to to think about yeah for sure i mean Again, for, for the people listening, you know, I'm honoured that, that we become friends over the last three or four years. Again, I got to know you uh, quite well um, just from from commentating, and then you were involved in the Paddock Show and stuff, and, and we became friends. And you know, that's that's something that that is dear dear to me, also with the, the family as well. But I've got to be honest with you, I, I do have a bit of a bone to pick with you, and I'm sure I speak on behalf of all of the listeners and all of the Moto America fans. If Ben Bostrom can come back and race a bagger at Laguna. Why the hell were you still in the commentary box? Come on, mate. That was made for you. That was made for you. I had a pearl all over it. Well, they, they asked me about it in the beginning, but then, uh, you know, I'm just afraid if I'm not in the booth, the Moto America Live Plus are just going to fall apart. So I couldn't, I couldn't take the risk of, you know, that, that uh, being shut down without me being in there. And uh, obviously I'm joking about that, but. Uh, that they asked me in the beginning, and then I didn't hear much about it. It was pretty cool seeing Ben out there, and you should have seen Ben Bostrom there. He was like a kid on Christmas. I mean, he was loving it, having the best time of his life. Just couldn't believe how how fun it was, and it was pretty cool to see uh, to see Ben just loving it like that. And you know how he is; he's always yeah, yeah, happy as it is. But I mean, you would have thought that he was riding a MotoGP bike. He was so excited. And that bagger series, uh, again, I've kind of gone off on, on, on a tangent, but we might as well talk about it. Never been seen before. Um, insane pictures that were coming out all over social media. We have a WhatsApp group within uh, the World Superbike Championship, and there was pictures and little clips getting around there. That was a great initiative, wasn't it? I know the bikes look a bit funny and the big old heavy things, but, you know, it doesn't matter how fast or how slow they are. That was a great spectacle. I thought it was a great initiative for, for Moto America. I thought it was super. Yeah, it's just a different crowd. You know, and I think it's with racing, you just want to get all the different fans there, you know, whatever it takes to get them there. Because, you know, the first time somebody comes to a road race, I mean, they're hooked. It's yeah. the, it's getting them in. There. And so if we can get some, you know, a different crowd. And I thought it was just like an exhibition going to be for, for fun. And then leading up to it on social media, I'm seeing like all these people testing and like, you know, build new parts. And I thought yeah. it was going to be a parade and uh it was far from that and like you know Vance and Hans was all in Indian came in you know all the guys that they had for their factory flat track team were were there those guys dragging their knee on, on the baggers and like even on tv didn't really do it justice because looking at the commentary box watching those guys come over the hill for turn one uh was pretty impressive. They, I mean, they were flying over that turn one and just seeing those guys, how leaned over they were, backing it in. And uh, 
you know, like I said, how serious people were taking it. And I mean, not they were having fun too, but with the testing and I don't know, it's going to be pretty interesting to see, to see where that goes now. Yeah. Cause there's rumors, isn't there? There's going to be maybe three rounds next year, like a little mini championship. I mean, uh, it'd be interesting to see which are the, which are the tracks they put them on, but I think it'll be, again, it's another new initiative. It's something new that's not happening. And it's, it's good for Moto America to keep re- not reinventing itself. That's the wrong word, but you know what I mean? To keep putting in these new, new series that, that will attract a different crowd, as you said, because I fully agree with you. Let's get the fans in. Let's show how great the sport is. And you kind of did that already. I just want to go back to 2005 because I was looking this morning at a, an interview clip of about nine or 10 minutes of footage when you, uh, Nikki and Tommy were on the Jay Leno show. And, yeah. uh, I, honestly, I watched that back two or three times and it was it was funny. Some of the comments and things that, you know, you are a bit of a comedian and, you know, but that's what it's about, isn't it? It's about putting motorcycle racing into the mainstream so that people can say, I think Jay Leno even said towards the end of the interview with, with you and your brothers, you know, if you guys get a chance to go and watch a motorcycle race, it's a hell of a lot more interesting than car racing. These guys actually overtake each other, you know, and that's going back to 2005. And it's just a clip that I found today before we, we had this conversation. But you're absolutely right. That's what we need to do, isn't it? Not just in Moto America, but in motorcycle racing around the world. Let's get new fans in. Let's bring, let's fill the grandstands again. Because once once they're hooked, they're hooked, right? Yeah, exactly. I agree. And that's that's a cool thing with, with Moto America. They're open-minded. You know, they're not like closed-minded. We're going to do it this way, you know, and this is how we're going to build it. They're always constantly looking for new ways to to build and grow the sport. And, you know, sometimes you have to think outside the box. And, you know, some of these views that these – that this, uh, you know, the bagger class had online was huge. Yeah, yeah. You know, like one of the practices had like 200,000 Facebook views like the before the weekend was even over. And that's just a new new crowd. And, you know, if we could have fans there, could you imagine how many fans would be there? I mean, next year, especially now that they get to see these baggers. Could you imagine how many of them is going to be at the track? It's insane. It's fantastic. I, I mean, I really hope that, you know, obviously safety first and we want to get through this pandemic, but I, I'm, I'm with you. I really just hope that we get back to normal as soon as possible because I think it's going to add multiple thousands of fans through the gates in the States, isn't it? It really is. And that's, and that's the big thing, you know, then more tracks are going to want us to come there because they're going to want, you know, it's ticket sales. Just It's just so much goes into it. I mean, you don't think about it, but like, you know, you think about another group of uh, fans and then you just t- start talking about TV numbers, you know, social media numbers and like all that stuff is important. You know, that all that stuff is what grows the sport and ultimately puts money back into the sport is people buying, you know, different parts of like drag specialty magazine, you know, going to want to get behind some people and, you know, give other people an opportunity to, you know, maybe somebody who, doesn't race no more or doesn't want to go as fast as they used to. Hey, the baggers for you then, because you know, they're not as fast, they're fast enough and it's just something different. Yeah, for sure. I just want to stick on this, this 2005 Jay Leno show because anybody that hasn't seen it, go onto YouTube, just type in uh, Roger Hayden, Jay Leno. It's, it's, it's brilliant. It's a nine minute clip. It's one of the first ones at the top. And even from the intro, um, I think you're the first one to come out. And obviously, it's 15 years ago, but you've got your, your hair's all slick. So you've got the proper little dapper jacket on. And then obviously, Nikki and, uh, and Tommy come out and you're sitting down there. Um, you guys 
we're like a little boy band, weren't you? The, the girls screaming every time that one of you answered a question, there was whoops and screams. And, and I think out of the three of you, I was laughing more at, more at you, not from how you looked, but just the way that you answered the questions. I mean, Jay Leno is, a, is a, an icon, isn't he? He's such a, a well-known <laughs> interviewer. But some of the questions he was asking, and it was as if, I don't mean it wasn't scripted, it clearly wasn't scripted, but it was as if it was just a double act. Just the, the, the I don't know, the, the constant back and forward between you and Jay. And I think he was talking about the, the, the racing and, and how you got into racing. And um, you chirped in and, and basically were talking about potentially being a horse jockey. Um, and it was just your expression and the way you said, oh, no, but I was going to be a horse jockey, but my sister got booked off and then she busted her wrist. So that was too dangerous. So we just hopped on a motorbike and the crowd and the girls are all laughing. I mean, did you actually realize at the time when you were doing that interview, just, I mean, maybe I'm reading it completely different because I'm seeing it from a presenter point of view and the work that I do on the stage, but that could be the new, the Roger Hayden show, Tea Time with Roger. You know, you, you could have your own little mini series. I mean, it's, it's. It was brilliant. I thought it was great. Yeah, no, it was, I guess the whole time I was like telling myself, don't lock up. You know what I mean? So like, I was acting like I, I was in my head, was acting like I wasn't on Jay Leno because I was pretty, I was kind of young still at the time and like, you know, the younger brother. So I was like, ah, oh, maybe I shouldn't say much. And then I was just like, you know what? Just be me and let people see it and, you know, and even now when I do interviews with some of the old volley kids, I always act like, hey, just pretend like I'm your friend. Yeah, yeah, you know? for sure. So, yeah, yeah. And uh, so that's how I kind of approached it to him was just like, I'm not going to act like he's who he is because I was starting to get, as you can imagine, like, you know, when they're like, okay, y'all got 30 seconds, you know, you can feel yourself like starting to like get tight. And uh, I didn't want that to happen because I knew like, you know, we all have our personalities and they have to show. And um, so, yeah, I mean, it was it was cool. And it was just just such a cool experience to to do with my brothers. And also, you know, it was huge for racing at the time. Yeah, it was. Uh, and again, for, for the benefit of those, I mean, I've done done TV shows and I've, I've, I've done live shows. It's very, very different being sat on that sofa that what you see on the TV, this this little TV box is showing Jay on one side, sat behind a desk doing his interview, and then you've got the sofa with you three there, and you've got the lights and everything else. What and also, one thing before that, like another person that was on the show that night that like even made, was Kate Hudson. Oh, wow. Movie star. Yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah, so like we're in like green rooms beside each other, you know what I mean? Like, and talking, and it's like, dude, I see this girl in like big movie. You know what I mean? Yeah, so yeah, it's yeah. like, it just magnified the, like, don't get nervous thing, you know? Yeah, yeah, for sure. And then obviously you walk out and, you know, I'm, I'm not sure how they set it up, but normally you don't get a dress rehearsal. You're straight into it and you, you just, it's, it's a one take, right? You're rolling with it. But I mean, I've been in TV studios and, and what people don't realize, you're sat on the sofa and you've got these little studios. We say little studios in America. I've been to the NBC studios. There's probably... 500 people minimum maybe more sat in the audience all staggered up they're all looking at you there's lights there's floor managers there's there's more than one camera you know there's people running around there's an auto cue with loads of words all over it i mean it's a pretty scary experience even for for an adult especially when you you look at and you know it's live that's the yeah. thing it's it, you know there's no even if you make a mistake it's like it's live and then you know like you said the lights are so bright and you look out there and you just see all the people. 
and uh that's where you just kind of like i said you try to imagine that you know you try to pretend like you're you're somewhere else to an extent you know you still have to you know be respectful and do a good job but don't i think a lot of times people like put more into it than it is yeah and they just so much pressure on themselves i mean i've even did that before in in interviews it's like you know even like when i first started doing the the live plus last year you know sometimes like i'd catch myself not talking for 10 minutes and it's like you know you kind of get nervous i don't want to say the wrong thing and you know and i think that's when i really grew this year was like you know what i'm gonna make a mistake you know right. what? move on you know quit quit thinking you know overthinking it and uh i think it was the thing that was so helpful with, with, with jay leno was just trying to try not to make it bigger than it was even though it was huge but not putting that pressure on myself yeah did you get his number that'd be really cool i'm just thinking that we could get him along get kate along you know, get some of these get some of these mega stars that you've that you've mingled with and that, that'll bring a few people through i mean keanu reeves uh, keanu reeves has been to, to the races hasn't he and shannon tating yeah. and all there's been quite a few guys that have been at there has been a lot especially uh it was going to be interesting to see who was going to be at Laguna this year if they could have fans. Yeah, yeah. Because I know a couple, couple people I was talking to, you know, that was kind of helping those kind of people get tickets for those races and, you know, really want to come to those. Starting to set their phone, starting to ring again with, yeah, you know, yeah. some people like that wanting to, wanting to uh, come to those races. And road racing in the, in the U.S. starting to grow. I mean, the crowds this year at every race was uh, bigger than they had been previous years. I know, like, yeah, Atlanta, for example, back in the day, like, it would take forever to leave. You know, like, before I rode Superbike, I always wanted to make sure I was out of there before Superbike, Superbike race was over because, you know, coming down the hill, there'd be a line. Yeah, this yeah. year, when I left, that it was backed up again like it was then, and that was amazing to see. Yeah, that's great. And again, just talking about Motor America Live Plus, as you said, you know, I've been involved with it myself, and it's it's such a great, great product of the series. I don't know if you get it in the states, but we get a, a show over here called Carpool Karaoke with James Corden, who's kind of followed in the footsteps of Jay Leno. Obviously, coming from from the UK, he was in Gavin and Stacey, a big, big, big celebrities into musical theatre and, and loads of presenting. I think he even had his own show, didn't he, in in the states? I think yeah. like a Friday or Saturday night show. I reckon we should pitch this. We should get uh, Wayne Rainey and Chuck and all the guys. We should pitch not a carpool karaoke, a twos-up karaoke. We'll stick James Corden on the back of Chris Ulrich, or you even, on the twos-up Suzuki, and we'll get him to sing around all the different circuits. Now, that would be worth watching, because he, oh. he there'd be F-bombs <laughs> getting drummed everywhere. thing going around there, or he's going to be locked up? Yeah, yeah, for sure. That would be, that'd be awesome. But these are the kind of things that we should be doing, I think. Yeah, definitely anything different to, to get them there. And everybody who does the two-up ride is is so amazed. Like, my sisters did it because when I rode for uh, Michael Jordan, the National Guard had the two-up bike. Yeah. As part of their sponsorship. And they compared it to skydiving. Really? Like the rush they got, you know, like, you know, not being in control and the speed because they went skydiving like the year before. Yeah, yeah. And they same rush is like before they're jumping out of the plane both of them said the same thing my sister's husband is a surgeon 
And he said he was as nervous as the first time he had somebody's heart out on the operating table. Wow. Like just the like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The adrenaline. You know, and, they yeah. just, and automatically was just like, when do we get to go again? Like that was just the, the coolest experience. So hopefully anybody that's never did two up, something they need to, to look into. Yeah, definitely. I did talk about this with this uh, with Josh Balicki, the, the NASCAR driver. And I said, look, if you're, you're based in Wisconsin and that you can get to come to a race, let's let's hook it up. Let's get it sorted out. Because, again, it's it's what the fans want to see, right? They want to see something that they've never seen before. Um, I think it would be would be, would be so cool. Um, I, I could keep talking for hours with you. As you know, every time we catch up in the paddock, we, we end up having coffee and chatting away for, for hours and hours. But uh, we, we've been chatting sort of nearly 35 minutes already. I can't let you go without talking about the Nikki Hayden Foundation um, because I know you've talked about it on Live Plus. Um, obviously, Nikki is, is dearly missed by all of us, but the foundation is doing such good work, isn't it? And especially even in COVID times now, uh, there's still ways that you can donate and get involved with the foundation, even with, with face masks and all these other things. Just just tell us a little bit about that because I know a lot of people were asking me to, to ask you that. Yeah, there's just uh, we have an Instagram for uh, and Facebook for uh, you know the Nikki Hayden Foundation, I always tag it in every one of my Instagram posts. Now we've been selling the mask, and this is our second run with the mask. The first time we sold out in like three or four days. You know, my sister didn't get; she got a couple hundred. She thought that might last, you know, a week, two weeks. Can kind of figure it out. Three days, they were she had to pull them off the site because she couldn't keep keep up so this time she ordered a lot more and they were ten dollars all of it goes straight to his foundation and the biggest thing is like during covid we sponsored some uh schools so kids could get food you know some kids depend on you know going to school to get food it's a backpack program and um so we made sure you know that these some of these kids still had you know meals you can go to the school and pick them up uh, they were looking for sponsorships. We paid for that. We bought a van for the Boys and Girls Club, which is for, you know, kids that aren't really as privileged as maybe the rest and uh, gives them a chance to go to the Boys and Girls Club. They can go pick kids up and all that. And the the biggest thing we've done is uh, we just finished up the Nikki Hayden uh, home for, for girls. And a lot of it is uh, single bedroom, single room apartments. Uh, and it's for people to, to get their life back together. You know, if you're a single parent, there's going to be classes. There'll be rules that you have to, uh, you know, maintain to stay there and, uh, you know, help you get a job, get on your feet. And hopefully the plan is and has to be really, it's just a, just a place where you get on your feet and then move on to you know hopefully after that you know you get your own apartment you got your job you got your kid you know and now they've uh you know been working on like a playground for the kids and just really cool and nikki was all about giving back was proud of where he was from so what a better place to you know help his foundation and uh, right here in Owensboro and just you know you got to make sure that the new generation knows about nikki because if not you know they're not letting they're not going to know the kids that are just born right now or or five years old you know if you don't have a foundation or something carrying on his name how are they going to know and then now like when kids see the nikki hayden foundation they're going to google nikki hayden and uh 
So it's me and my sisters and my, my brother Tommy do a lot of the work, especially like the social media stuff and like even the like the mask and stuff, you know, like we're doing all that ourselves, like sending the stuff out. And uh, so it's been pretty cool. And yeah, if anybody wants to check it out, Instagram, Facebook, there's also direct links to if you just want to donate. And um, things are, are going pretty well right now. And just got to keep it going. Yeah, I couldn't have said that any any better. And uh, obviously, you know, I got to know Nicky really well when he was in World Superbike and fully endorsed what you said. I mean, the, the time, I think, I can't remember a time even on the Paddock Show when Nicky wasn't the last rider to leave. The autograph sessions or what we were doing on stage would be finished and 20 minutes later, the press officer would be like, come on, Nicky, we've got to go. And he'd still be sat crouched down taking selfies and signing autographs with, with the young kids. But anybody that just want to go and, and, and donate or, or purchase the mask, et cetera, as, as Roger said, Nikki Hayden Foundation, uh, all lowercase on Instagram. I'm looking at it now. Uh, there's several thousand people following. So uh, get on there and, uh, and let's keep, uh, let's keep Nikki's memory alive. And uh, I think that uh, uh, everybody that's listening will, will definitely, uh, definitely endorse that. Roger, as I said, I could talk to you. There's so many more things from that Jay Leno show, but everyone's going to go and Google that now. That's going to be the, it's going to be the biggest trending YouTube video for yeah, the next month, so. mate. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah it's great it's it's it's, it's a real uh, real treat and as i said you've been a a great ambassador of the sport um, you're a great friend and i really really appreciate you coming on and i really really hope that, uh, that i get the chance to work with you next year not on zoom calls backwards and forwards as, as we had to do at the beginning of the season but hopefully we can be in the booth next to each other and we can be uh, continuing to put moto america on the map yeah i hope so and uh plus with you i mean i know you're trying to I see all the emails and all the work that you go into it to try to help grow the sport. And, um, you know, it's really cool to see. And I'm uh, on the same page with you there. Great job. Well, uh, as I said, that was Roger Hayden dialing in from his home in the States. Uh, always a pleasure. And uh, who knows, maybe we will be commentating together next year. That is something that, uh, well, it's something I would definitely subscribe for. I don't know about you, Rog. Oh, for sure. Without a doubt. <laughs> Thanks, Roger. Take care, buddy. All right. See you, man. A big thanks to Tom and to Roger for joining us this week on Vroom. Next week, it's an all-comedy affair as I'm joined by Moto America star Max Flinders, who relives his time on the Paddock Show when World Superbike was last at Laguna Seca, and British Superbike debutante Tom Ward will be dropping in to show off his Tiger King skills. Room. Your weekly motorsport fix podcast is produced by Michael Hill and is edited by Gareth Bouch of Room Media. The music is by the Rain Dogs and it's a production of Michael Hill Promotions.